This is the Matt Townsend Show. Tell me that's not a pretty amazing dynamic. Your guide on the side. Just bring the honesty and the integrity to the game. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. On BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning. I'm Leanna Tan. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. So I read this statistic this morning on the American Academy of Family Physicians website that nearly 1 in 12 adults in the United States has depression. And that is, no pun intended, um, a bit sad. So it inspired me to piece together an episode for you guys completely dedicated to happiness. And hopefully this will help the American population. We've got two great interviews lined up. I picked these because I thought it was interesting how these are two completely different guests from two completely different places and livelihoods and backgrounds, and yet they both have very similar points. Both of these guests talk about how to achieve happiness and its effects on us, and you'll hear how they have very similar things to say, so it must be true. This first one is with Sid Hoffman, and she talks with Matt about how we can be happier people and how happiness relates to our energy level and overall health. So uh, now this happiness thing, okay, it seems like a lot of people are looking for it. I think so. (laughs) And uh, it also seems kind of elusive, doesn't it? And maybe we're all focusing on the wrong thing. Well, uh, we we like being happy. It makes us feel energetic. It makes us feel terrific. Um, the, there's some basic characteristics of happy people that um, you know most most people that are happy um, have comfort expressing their gratitude. Mm. That's one kind of common thing. So they're um, actually they're 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 okay doing it. They're verbal. They they like being grateful. They they and they say it. They like being grateful. They say it. They show it. And, and I think the act of doing any kind of kindness makes you feel good. I and then totally that's agree. Kind of like a B12 shot. Yeah. So part of it, I guess, is uh, you're, you're kind of saying, I mean, it, it just seems like everyone else is out chasing happiness, not by showing gratitude and verbalizing it and serving. It seems like a lot of us are chasing it by just... Um, I don't know, uh, trying to get better degrees, trying to get more money, trying to get a lot of other things that maybe aren't going to directly correlate to happiness. Well, all of that is really good. But I think while you're chasing the degree, I think really enjoy the whole process. Yeah. I have a 23-year-old daughter who's getting ready to go to graduate school. And, you know, she's trying to figure it out, what to do and everything. But the main thing I want to tell her is don't just go for the degree. You know, really, really figure it out, figure out what you want to do, and then enjoy your classes. Yeah. Actually, take classes that make sense to you and help you, but make you happy along the way. Enjoy the journey. Yeah, it is. It's kind of like we th- we see happiness, I guess, as an end instead of just the journey. Right, right. And and, uh, and so, some, okay, so let's get into it. What, what I guess, what else do you see gets in the way or what helps us? And then I really want some solutions. What are some ways that we can... Not only get happiness. On your website, you talk about how happiness in the end, eventually, happiness and a happy mind and a healthy body creates energy. And so I'd really like to get into the energy as well. Cool. What cool. To, so what gets in the way? What are the things that get in the way? What are the things that are just inherently going to produce, I guess, a happier mind and a healthier body? Okay. Well, I think one thing that gets in the way is we create a lot of stress for ourselves. We worry about a lot of things that don't even come anywhere close to fruition. So we really need to figure out ways to de-stress and make them part of our day, whether it's taking a deep breath, doing a yoga class, going out for a 10-minute run, whatever it is. We've got to do something every single day. I think that's a great idea. And when you um, – I know you're really into yoga and exercise. And how do, we, how do we start doing that kind of more on a daily basis? How do I – if I haven't incorporated that into my life, let alone just taking a breath, how do we start to do it now? What are some Good. tools? You actually have to put it on your calendar. It, you know, it sounds crazy, but in today's busy day and age, I have to put it on my calendar to do it. And I love to move my body, but I make sure that I carve out a time. Like, for example, this morning I did a bring it on class. It was early. I got it done, and I'm done for the day. And I made time for it. I didn't let anything, you know, stand in my way. I knew I had the radio show. I knew I had a couple of other things going today, but I didn't make any excuses. I did it. 
You just got it done. And yeah. um, and I guess that's probably one of the things that's led you. You've been able to climb Kilimanjaro. Is that right? You've been able, you're going to go do the Alps? Yes, I just got back. I just Did got you back really? on Monday from the Swiss Alps. And tell me and, about that. I mean, so what motivated you to do that? You know, I love challenges and I love fresh air. I think that's one thing that makes me happy. And everybody has to figure out what makes them happy. For me, if I'm outside doing anything with lots of people, um, just beautiful scenery, there were lakes and glaciers everywhere. Mm. I'm like the happiest person, and that just makes me feel more energetic. So you, you have to take care of your body. You have to eat clean. You have to move your body. But try to find the thing that makes you like the least torturous activity, yeah. the thing that makes you the happiest while you're doing it, jumping rope, dancing, um, walking briskly with a friend. If you can make it a social activity, you're more apt to do it. Well, that, I think I think that's interesting because you're. It seems like you figured it out. How how old were you? I mean, and how old are we when we should be knowing this? Because it's kind of just seems like it's almost you should know it as a kid. Because as a kid, that's when we were doing. We were happy, and we'd go outside and we loved to play and run. And yeah. and it seems like we kind of forget those little basics. Yeah, there's, it seems like it was sort of left our body. We, we got to be too serious. We became fifth graders, and all of a sudden we were serious, yeah. and we didn't like school, and recess was taken away. And um, No, you just you have to regain it. You have to, and it was, it was funny. That's how I decided to write the book, because I was an elementary school principal, and I was watching my little guys running around the playground having a great time, and I noticed they're running around, they're happy and smiling, but my teachers weren't so happy and smiling. Yeah. My parents weren't <laughs> so were, happy yeah. and smiling. So, uh, oh, isn't we, that funny? They look, our yeah. kids look to us, and I guess that's where they're going to be, and we're just these exhausted, depressed, probably overweight, tired, caffeine freaks. Well, two out of every three of us are complaining that we're tired and overweight. <sighs> so we're, I mean, two out of three. Yeah. So that's really bad. And the book you wrote is, is called All Day Energy. Mm-hmm. And, and so you see a direct correlation between the energy, your energy, and your happiness. A total direct, yes. And I feel like you can't have one without the other. You have to, you, you can be happy for a few moments, you know, a little puppy, yeah. you're petting the puppy. But if you don't have your health and you don't have your, your good night's sleep and you don't have lots of great people in your life, you're not going to be happy for long. Oh, I think you're so on there. And, and, then, and it, you, you kind of need that just to have the energy to deal with the, the conflict. And it seems like Life's just going to keep throwing you curves. That's inherent. And if you had the energy, and I get—I I call it like the capacity, you're going to be able to take the capacity to turn these challenges into something to your benefit. I agree. I think that's, that's really wise. And something simple like drinking a glass of water helps you focus, helps you be you know, more calm, helps your body function, helps your brain because your brain's 75% water. So little tips. It doesn't take... You know, training three hours a day at the the gym no. to be energetic. And it doesn't take big muscles. I mean, I've got them, but I don't like to brag. <laughs> and it doesn't take it because I've got I huge muscles. Them over the, the, the can you airwaves. see them? Can you hear it yeah. rubbing on the microphone? Yeah. Yeah, they're huge. And um, can and it doesn't take just perfect bodies, perfect lives, perfect jobs. But you can be the best you. Right. And if you wait till the circumstances are perfect, you're never going to find the perfect circumstances. So, it's right. In fact, yeah. Yeah, that's, I think, why energy is so important, because just as I coach people and see them come through my my practice, I start to see that they're so tired. They don't have the energy to convert life into anything other than just drudgery. And we have to have I mean, it takes energy. And I think that's why I love your book idea, because it's so many of us just don't know where we're losing it. Yeah. You have to you have to look at what you're putting into your body, too. If you want to feel more alive, you have to eat more live foods. Yeah, talk about that. that you call that eating clean. Yeah, eating clean, eating live instead of all the processed stuff. Yeah. You buy your food that's not in a package. Today I bought some apples. They weren't in a bag. They were just apples. They're so beautiful. Oh, I love apples. But see, I buy them at McDonald's, and they're 50 cents for four slices. 
Uh, it's just too expensive, Sid. It is. If you're going to buy your food processed, it'd be easier to just grab one off my tree that I have in the backyard. Uh, I love it. Well, it takes a little planning, but, you know, I bring a bag. I have this little insulated bag. I mean, I feel like a five-year-old, but <laughs> it's kind of cool. I get to eat what I want to eat during the day, yep. and then I don't have that three o'clock, what, do I, what am I going to eat? Where am I going to get it? Um, oh, there's a drive through Yeah. You know. See, that's my life. What is my deal? Um, and does your, by the way, does your insulated bag have the Jetsons on it? It does. How did you know that? I can totally tell. No, because <laughs> I had an insulated bag. Mine was actually a tin box um, with the Jetsons on. All these young punks that are sitting around me have no idea who the Jetsons are. I know who the Do you? <laughs> Don't get mouthy. I know who the Jetsons are. <laughs> oh, man. Do you, you know, Sky? the microwave? Yeah, I know the Jetsons. Yeah. The microwave? Yeah. It's like... Before, I mean, that was before microwaves. Time, hey, yeah. Sid, by the way, let's go back on memory lane for a minute. Do you remember sure. back when a microwave actually sounded like a nuclear reactor? I do. I do. I remember I remember my mom suggesting that we need to get something to test to make sure. That I know. <laughs> mom, why is your hair glowing? Yes. <laughs> Those were the days. Okay, Sid, we're going to come back. When we come back, I want you to run us through a bunch of tools. We've already talked a little bit about eating clean, but okay. I'd love you to get into some more energy solutions. And let's talk about your book. They can find you at SidHoffman.com, S-Y-D-H-O-F-F-M-A-N.com. And on that page, you can go see her book, All Day Energy. We'll be back with Sid Hoffman right here on the Matt Townsend Show on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Welcome back. I'm Leanna Tan. This is The Matt Townsend Show. We just listened to the first part of an interview with Sid Hoffman. She talked about how happy people are verbally grateful and service-oriented and that a happy mind creates a happy body, which creates energy in our lives. She mentioned eating healthy and exercising a little each day as a way to regain and maintain happiness. And in this next segment, she is going to teach us a few more ways we can keep our energy up. So we're going to bring back our guest, Sid Sid Hoffman here. Sid, welcome back to the show. Thanks, Matt. You bet. Now, you're giving us some ideas on how to keep the energy up. And interestingly, they kind of do follow the same line of eating and movement and, you know, a little mental stimulation. Yeah. Tell us, uh, what do we do? What are are some ways that we can boost the energy, you know, and, and maybe take our happiness back? I think we have to find a way to sleep well, because if you're not sleeping well, Ugh. you're not you're going to be dragging for the next two days. That's so true. So I think the most important thing is figure out what works for you. Most people think that alcohol is going to help them sleep better, but the reality is it helps you fall asleep, but it doesn't keep you asleep. Yeah. So you want to you want to kind of avoid that alcohol, the caffeine, all the fun stuff. Yeah. You want you want to kind of minimize it. You don't want to be, you know, so intense, but you want to have if you want to do anything with alcohol or caffeine, you have to do it first thing in the morning. Right. It's a stimulant, right? Yeah. Well, alcohol's a depressant, I guess, but but caffeine's a stimulant. My wife taught me not to stimulate the children after nine o'clock. Because I'd start <laughs> wrestling with them and she'd get so mad. Like, don't do that. You're gonna ruin my Facebook time. And all of a sudden, I but but it's the same thing. We shouldn't be drinking caffeine. We shouldn't be uh, alcohol. I had a I had a relative that needed to drink his little cup of Nyquil every night, just to put him out. Yeah, and then we're creating the hangover the yep. next day. He's still like at two o'clock in the afternoon. He's still figuring out. His body is trying to figure out what went wrong the night before. Right. So if we could try to be more conscious of like the spicy, the sugary foods, eat them earlier in the day. Um, avoid citrus before bed. So like having an orange is oh, not a makes great snack, sense. but a banana has melatonin in it. It'll yeah. help you sleep. Okay. Now, Sid, yes. my mom told me that bananas give you nightmares. 
You know, she was telling you a lie. <laughs> My mama's a liar. <laughs> I really did. I thought for sure, don't eat a banana or you'll get a nightmare. No. But the, so but that has melatonin. Great. So that really would put you to sleep. Plus it's heavy. You know, it'll stay in your stomach for a while. Yeah. If you want a good snack, uh, like a half a banana or a whole banana and a tablespoon of almond butter, Ooh. that combination helps you, gives you just the right amount of fat, protein, melatonin. You'll sleep like a baby. You don't need NyQuil. No, who needs NyQuil when you got that? <laughs> I've never had almond butter. Oh, it's like peanut butter on steroids. It's so oh, amazing. Is it like that? Is it, but it's like a paste. Oh, and you put it on the banana. You put it on the banana and just pop it in your mouth. Okay, I it's love this. Grand old time. Good. And what else? What else is like a, what else could put me to sleep? Well, you know, make sure your room is cool enough. It has to be around 68 degrees, Yes. you know, to, re- to really sleep. Some people like lavender. There's a lot of people take a, um, put some lavender lotion on their hands, and that helps them sleep. Being stress-free. So you want to have your planner, all your notes for the next day already done about an hour before mm. bed. You're not like... You know, think of processing your tomorrow. You're already, you know, already put it together as best as you could. And then you just trust. You ask the universe for help. Yeah. You say, hey, give me some ideas while I'm sleeping, but keep me rested. I love that. Now, now tell me this, because this may be a problem. I like to just pull my um, phone out and just let that blue din of the light and just <laughs> let it glow on my face while I, while I read the news and read all about the crazy things that are happening in the world. And and that probably works great for sleeping, Matt. That's probably just yeah. That mm. that lights me up. Isn't <laughs> that so sad? That is well, you know what? We we really it's almost like you really nowadays need to turn that off like no, totally. at least an hour before bed. Um, because it's just so disturbing. But There's I think so it's many- ruining marriages. I think it's ruining us. <laughs> I mean, really, my I, at five, I had a anyway. It's more than you'll ever need to know. But I had a I had a client early today, and I wasn't sure it was at seven a.m. and I wasn't sure if she was coming or not. Okay. But at four o'clock, I woke up. At four thirty, I woke up. Oh. At five, I woke up. At five thirty, I woke up. At six, oh. I, I woke up every half hour with my mind saying, "Well, I wonder. I wonder if she's coming. I wonder if she's coming." Yeah. And then, by the way, I was still late. Okay. So part of that's, and my phone's buzzing, and I'm thinking, oh, geez, okay. But we got to eliminate them. Yeah, we we do. And and I'm glad you talked about showing up late. That really depletes our energy. When we show up late, when we go through all those scenarios in our head, what if they're there? What if they leave? What if if they think I'm a loser because I'm late? All that really stresses us out. And stressing your, your body out is the opposite of feeling more energetic. Oh, I think so that's such a good one. So all the things you do, try to figure out, like, you know, everybody has, has parts of their day where it seems like they're, they're multitasking or they're always five minutes late or, or even worse, they yeah. forget something. So figure out how to smooth it out and you will be such a happy person. And those are all in your control. I mean, this is all stuff you can control. And if you can get ahead of the wave, then you get to, I guess, reap the benefits of riding the wave. Exactly. Like the wave is going to come. And if you're ready for it, it will be yeah. fun. But most of us are like paddling out to the wave. When's, oh, I missed that one. And, or and we got to get standing, ahead. Or they're standing by the water and they don't even have the right clothes on or the right yeah. tools. They're, you know. Oh, this is the, what, this is the ocean? This is the ocean. And we're parked in the parking lot. <laughs> Does, um, talk about for a minute, kind of, I, some of that is the mental component because you're getting ahead of it. But get into, again, some of the positivity and gratitude. I didn't realize what an impact that has on my happiness. Gratitude creates a supercharged boost of energy that attracts wonderful things to your life. And that makes you happy. Also, when you focus on the positive, when you focus on the things that you're grateful for, you move more positive things into your life, more positive people are attracted to you. If somebody has a choice of dealing with someone that's positive and grateful or, or somebody who's kind of grumpy and lame about their whole attitude, you're going to choose to work with a oh, positive yeah. person. See, that's why at the DMV, they don't let you choose. They just give you a number. <laughs> and when true. they call your number, you just got to pick the curmudgeon and you might get Mrs. Happy. This is really true. They don't give you the choice. But it really, it, what I guess part of this is, um, you're, you're, I guess you're choosing the energy that you want to absorb. or I mean, you're being what you need to be. And then that ends up becoming, you keep using the word attractor, meaning people will see the goodness in you. They'll see that you're grateful. And everyone would rather work with somebody that will be grateful for that work than somebody that will just be bugged by it. 
Right. And the whole idea is that we're going to make things easier for other people and ourselves. And one way to do it is to have a really good positive outlook. It's, it's, you're going to have to do, you're going to have to work all day long anyway. Life is, you know, life does involve work. Might as well do it with a smile on your face. That's right. It's interesting as you talk about energy. I mean, you're not just giving us the, you know, the silver bullet. Yeah, just take whatever energy me now pills.com. Mm-hmm. Um, you're, you're saying a bunch of little things from eating clean, exercising, creating movement, mental positivity, gratitude, good, good sleep. It's kind of the combination of all of these that then create, I guess, whole energy. That is, I could not have said it better. You are the wisest man well, that I've talked to the whole day. I'm reading your website for crying out loud. <laughs> I think another thing we could do to feel more energetic is to accept ourselves and stop doing all this negative self-talk. Yep. We, we talk to ourselves in such a mean way compared to the interactions we have with other people in our life. Oh, don't, totally. If we, yeah, we, we don't treat ourselves nearly as kindly as we do the garbage man yep. or everybody else in our lives that we hardly know. That's true. We're so we, good at the put down. Yeah, and if we just take a moment to you know kind of cut ourselves some slack and be kinder to ourselves, I I just think the world would be a nicer place. Yeah, I totally agree. As Sid, as we wrap this up, um, by the way, some things you need to you need to go look at Sid's website, SidHoffman.com, with a Y S Y D H O F F M A N dot com, or you also created a website called EatPlayHug.com. I did, and that is that's for uh, women over the age of forty to get healthy and stay healthy based on your mom's philosophy to eat well, play hard, and hug often. Yes. I love that. That's got videos on it that they can watch. As we wrap up, Sid, um, tell us, uh, what's the one thing? So if we could only do one thing today, what's the one thing that would make all the difference on our energy and our happiness? Move your body for 10 minutes. I love that. I'm moving it right now, Sid. Uh, I'm moving it. But like you just exercise energy, go do something. Yeah, go do something and do something you like. Turn the radio up and dance. Um, um, Do a brisk walk. Do a run. uh, Walk in the swimming pool. Do a lap of the water. um, I love those. Jump jump with an invisible jump rope. Whatever makes you the happiest. And or go climb Kilimanjaro. Yes. (laughs) Like you did. Sid Hoffman, you're the best, and we love your energy and your example. Um, Again, go to SidHoffman.com. Sid, we're going to have you back for sure. We need energy. Thanks for sticking with us. I'm Leanna Tan. This is The Matt Townsend Show. If you missed it, we just finished off the last segment with a tip from Sid Hoffman. She said, if there's one piece of advice she has for people, if they are in a funk and they just want to be a little bit happier, it's just to move around for 10 minutes, turn on the radio and dance, jump rope, just get up. And I found this to be very inspirational. And so I got up from my desk and did a few calf raises. And I must say, I did feel a little more invigorated and happy. So must work. So now we know happiness can affect our energy levels and our bodies, but what about how it ties in with our social connections and our emotions and our mental well-being? Well, I thought this next interview was a really heartwarming and enlightening segment that answers these questions. Matt brings on Emma Seppala to talk about how compassion breeds happiness, contrary to the popular belief that self-fulfillment is what brings happiness. She is um, really, she's the Associate Director of the Center for Compassion and Altruism Research and Education at Stanford University. She obtained a BA from Yale, a master's degree from Columbia University, and a PhD in psychology from Stanford University. She is the recipient of the James W. Lyons Award, awarded by Stanford University for service to the Stanford campus. She's a very popular um, writer and blogger on Psychology Today. She's also a contributor to Scientific American Mind, The Huffington Post, Mindful and Spirituality and Health magazines. And she gives talks. She has a TEDx talk you got to go check out. Um, and and uh, she gives talks to other organizations like Google, National Science Foundation, and the U.S. Congressional Hearings. Emma, Dr. Emma Seppala, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Thank you, Matt. Happy to be here. That was quite a little resume. 
<laughs> That's what's amazing. Uh, this this blow it blew my mind a little bit here, uh, Emma, because I'm sitting here. We're talking about happiness, which seems to be such a squishy topic. You, you know, oh, happy, blah blah blah. But it's a, it's a real it's a real study. I mean, it's a real focus for you and even businesses that you've talked to and Stanford University. This isn't something to just assume we understand, is it? It's definitely um, a field of research that's um, that's gaining a lot in uh, in terms of, of new findings. Um, until now, or until recently, most people were studying things like anxiety, depression, um, mental distress. But there's been an increasing interest in human flourishing and what really makes us happy, fulfilled, um, which is wonderful. Human flourishing, that's a great way to put it. Like, are we go- are we thriving? Are we succeeding? I mean, I know that's a that's a huge kind of issue in business. I mean, there is a correlation, right, between business success, company success, and their their employees flourishing. Well, yes, actually, the data is starting to show that if employees are happy and if leaders are inspiring um, and really take care of their employees, uh, there's greater loyalty, greater customer service, greater well-being. Um, so, actually. When you start with employee well-being, the results are fantastic for the bottom line as well. Which is, I guess, now that'll mainstream it where companies will start to say, okay, yeah, we got to focus on, on human flourishing. Um, is it, I mm-hmm. guess what you're also saying, though, is it's, it's really, is happiness, it sounds like, it might be more of an endeavor socially than it is even just privately, personally. Is that, is that, the, is that true? Is it a social well, think, interaction? What what is it? I mean, is it is it our relationships or is it me with myself? Is it my space? What is it that brings happiness? Well, I would say it's a combination of both. I mean, one thing we know about social connection is that it's absolutely essential from the time that we're born. We are social creatures. We need to feel warm connections, affectionate connections with others. Uh, infants that don't have that don't grow up to be developmentally, um, to develop uh, appropriately. Um, adults and adolescents all uh, need that connection, and you can see the impact of it. So an interesting finding um, is that when you have low social connection, it's worse for your health um, than obesity, than smoking, or high blood pressure. And wow. I often think about you know, taking care of our, our health by going to the gym, et cetera. But um, actually, it would be more important to take care of our feeling of connection to others. And the nice thing about that is um, it doesn't have to do with how many friends you have on Facebook. So I often get introverts or, um, uh, you know, shy people emailing me and saying, what does this mean about me? Absolutely nothing. Because the benefits of social connection come from your subjective feeling of connection to others. So your personal sense of belongingness with the people around you, whether or not they're your close friends. So you've heard the term loneliness in a crowd. Similarly, you know, you can have just just one friend, but if you go out there in the world and you feel connected to others, you get the benefits. And, you know, going back to your question, how do you feel more connected to others? Um, In a lot of cases, it also means taking care of yourself. So if you take good care of yourself um, and, and, and you feel uh, more positively, um, more positive, you're also automatically going to feel more connected to others. So it's a combination of happiness and well-being or a combination of, of good self-care, uh, which is sometimes done privately. For some people, they need to be more in silence. Other people, they need to meditate, go to the gym, get enough sleep, etc. cetera. Yeah. Um, but also socially, in, in our connection, in our affectionate interactions with others, that's one thing, our, our personal relationships, but also in um, the amount of service uh, we do in the world. So our research is showing that, you know, if we are engaged in more altruistic kind of um, behaviors, not only are we happier, but our health is better, we recover from disease faster, and we live longer. Wow. Uh, So that spirit of service, it, it not only makes us happy, we know that when we go out and do something for others, we feel happier than if we went and, and bought something for ourselves. There's research on that. In one study, participants were told to either spend money on themselves or on someone else. And guess who was happier at the yeah. end? It was, you know, the ones who'd spent money on others. So we know that for a fact. So, um, you know, the a lot of marketing experts out there want us to think that happiness is in purchasing their product. Oh, sure. Um, 
but actually it's really in, 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 in relationship to others and also in altruistic um, interactions with others. It's kind of, it's, I guess, a lot of this... Um you, you kind of you mentioned three self care you know some type of social interaction and affection and um, and service I, I guess mm-hmm. some of this is I mean we need we need enough reserves to to take care of all of these other things we want to do we need to have enough yeah. health to do it all that's the self care I guess but then there's something you're really getting to that says when we when our arrows are pointed outward we tend to grow happiness a little bit different than when our arrows are pointed inward. That, I gave an example at the beginning of the show that I'm not sure you were able to hear about a client of mine who was just decided he's not happy anymore. And, um, I mean, it's taken years, but he's, you know, he found a new friend and he's leaving his wife and his children, but he's doing it to go be happy. And yeah. his justification is this will make him happier. He's not necessarily getting into more service. He's not necessarily even taking better care of himself per se, um, but he calls it happiness. So it's almost like in this this world we we use this phrase happiness as a as a way to to kind of avoid some of the hard things of life, the responsibility. Talk about that for a minute. How how do we not how do we not just use it to scapegoat everything else? I mean, like you even mentioned compassion and and. Mm-hmm. Compassion breeds happiness, not just not just self fulfillment. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Um, I think that you know, everyone makes their own personal choices, and, and certainly a relationship can bring happiness and, and great happiness. Uh, it certainly shouldn't be a an excuse to avoid a responsibility. But I think everyone everyone's life is different, and it's hard to make any kind of judgments. Um, but one thing for sure that I didn't mention before, and I think it's part of the self-care, is is cultivating perspective and wisdom. And um, and and for example, uh, some of the things we know from from psychological research is that our mind tends to cling to the negative. So um, you know, 80% of things that are going on every day in our life tend to be positive, um, but and maybe 20 or 10 percent or not, but we tend to focus on those things. Yeah. Um, so, uh, you know, that can give us a skewed perspective. And for example, I, I often think about times when, you know, you're having a rough day, you think everything's going wrong and somebody calls you and says, Hey, can you help me? And they're having a much tougher problem. And when you talk to them, you realize, Oh my gosh, first of all, you're helping them. You feel empowered. You feel stronger. You gain perspective on your situation. Um, and you realize that what you're going through is not really that hard. So um, cultivating perspective is something very important in making any kinds of decisions about what you're going to do with your life. And uh, my work with veterans has been really insightful for that. They call, um, after coming back from combat, they call our problems first world problems. Yeah. You know, oh, my car broke down. I don't get along with my boss. Those are not really problems. They're first world problems. <laughs> <laughs> and they have this perspective having seen life and death. Um, so I think that's really interesting. That is powerful. And one of yeah, and one of the ways to combat that is gratitude. And research has shown that gratitude is a huge booster for well-being. In one study with um, depression, uh, with people who are suffering from acute depression, just writing down three things they felt grateful for every day had a greater impact than the um, the um, the drugs that were given to the other really? experimental group. Yeah. So really, what I think gratitude do is again, it, remi- it does is it reminds you, oh. Yeah, there's so much going right for me, and it's just a question of where I'm focusing my attention. It seems like in this in this world, this day and age, where you know social media is so huge, we have seemingly so many tools to be able to connect socially that we we would have an advantage socially if 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 connectivity is one of the goals of um, or not one of the goals, but one of the benefits that that might drive or drivers of happiness. Is is the modern world affecting us positively in our happiness and social connecting, or is it, or is it an inverse relationship? I think it depends. Uh, so, for example, there's because of my uh, work with veterans, I follow a number of military um, and veteran websites. One of which is um, a humor website, and they always put you know funny military kind of jokes up and one night i saw oh it says it said all jokes aside there's a man there's a 
um, battle in distress, which means there's a there's a veteran out there somewhere uh, in you know near DC who um, his friend just called me and he is in danger of killing himself. He's got a gun. He's in an apartment. We don't know where he is. And his phone is off. What should we do? And through that whole night, there were hundreds and hundreds of veterans and supporters of veterans who were commenting on that post. People were getting in their cars, driving in the direction of where this person might be. And by the end of the night, they had located him, contacted his commander. His commander had come to the door and found him, though he was in a huge apartment complex with his phone off. Somehow they located him, and his life was saved. Wow. And, um, it, and I heard he then called in to this and, and, and left a message thanking them, and, and I heard that message, and it's so moving. So the ability to connect and generate altruistic um, uh, actions on social media is tremendous. Yeah. And I think for a lot of people who suffer from loneliness, it's amazing. On the other hand, we have to have that balance. If all of our attention is always directed outward, always involved in technology, uh, it can also be draining and it can also prevent us from having real authentic relationships. So a balance is needed. And I think especially now uh, we're still learning about how to interact with technology in a wise way, in a way that's balanced. Yeah, it's almost like we don't. We, we, we see some of its benefits and then a lot of us see just some, a lot of its negative, uh, components, but really it's, it is, it kind of goes back to the idea of, of balancing it is, um, and I guess in the end, one thing we're, I guess, what I really want to get into when we, when we take a break and come back is some of the power of compassion. Um, it seems like when, especially when it comes to even our social relationships and even self-compassion, being able to kind of, I don't know, show a different kind of a, of care for yourself emotionally and, and let some things go. I'd love to have you uh, to talk about that. We're talking right now with Emma Seppala, Ph.D. She uh, has a website you really need to go check out, uh, Seppala, S-E-P-P-A-L-A-S-E-P-P-A-L-A.com. Emma Seppala, she's teaching us about happiness and uh, the ties it has to our social connections, to our compassion. And um, I think she's opened up some minds here. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We're going to take a break. Come on back with us right here on BYU Radio. the rest of today's Matt Townsend episode. Have you been noticing the similarities between these two interviews? Just like Sid Hoffman, Emma Seppala says that a spirit of service brings happiness as well as gratitude, compassion, and a positive perspective. She also said that there needs to be a balance of self-care and looking outwards. So I'm going to play the rest of this episode for you and pay attention because she talks about some really interesting studies about the research and science behind happiness and compassion, and she talks about specific things that we can do to increase our happiness. There's a, there's a, a foundational idea, it seems like, that kind of runs, that, that runs through a lot of your, your, um, the stuff we've been talking about and your ideas. We, it's this sense of um, our being with other people um, or, and compassion. Talk a little bit about compassion and, and, you know, it's connection to just a healthy person and happiness. Well, compassion is actually one of our most natural instincts. Um, even children that are infants, too young to have learned the rules of politeness, will go out of their way to help another uh, person who needs help. Um, animals, same thing. For example, rats. We don't really have a ton of respect for rats, <laughs> but a rat will go out of its way to help another rat that's suffering. Same thing with primates. Um, these studies show that just instinctually we are wired to help other people who are suffering or in pain. Um, and um, and there's, you know, the fact that compassion is so good for our psychological and physical health um, suggests that, yes, evolutionarily speaking, we, uh, we are wired to, to help one another. And there's this, this sense out there that, you know, we're all selfish, etc. But the truth is, if we were, we probably wouldn't be alive today. There are more action, the more kind acts that are, the kind acts are really the reason that we're alive. Um, and some of the research shows, um, you know, that compassion makes us happy. So, um, in brain imaging studies where people either see, uh, you know, are told that they're getting money 
deposited into uh-huh. their account or yeah. that money going to a charity. Um, there's the same amount of activation in the pleasure centers in our brain. Um, similarly, I, I mentioned this earlier, but when you give money to others, you feel happier than when you spend that same money on yourself. Um, and this is true even in, in infants. So the same kind of study was done in infants where they were given little cookies and were told to were either had them for themselves or gave them to someone else who was hungry and um, they expressed greater well-being uh, when they were giving it away. Um, the other thing that compassion does, which might lead to increased well-being, is that um, it it. By focusing on others, it also increases, it decreases our stress and anxiety. So anxiety and depression are states that are linked to a lot of self-focus. Okay. Um, a focus, focus on ourselves. There's nothing wrong with that. I mean, no. evolutionarily, if you were running away from the tiger in the jungle, it's probably a good idea to yeah. be self-focused. Run! However, you know, if you're chronically stressed and that leads to self-focus, you know, you... It, it, you're not able to connect so well with others, but as soon as you you connect with someone else and um, take care of them, your your self focus decreases, your other focus is increases, and your perspective and well being um, also increase. Um, another reason why people, you know, think that it might be evolutionarily adapted is that uh, compassion actually makes you attractive. Really? So, um, in a, yeah, it's the, the trait most highly valued as a, in potential romantic partners for both men and women. Wow. Um, so um, we, uh, it's just a, a really high value for It's all, interesting because you would think we'd be, you know, they would most value would be like a six pack. Um, but in reality, you're saying it's. But I guess it's this kinder sense that you'll be compassionate to how you interpret me, to how we communicate. You'll give me the benefit of the doubt. It's it's right. relationships. It's kind of I guess the foundation of relating. It is the foundation of relating. Yeah, and it's relating uh, at the most core level where it's it's more uh, about me helping you, me serving you. It's me outside of me. Yes, and that has a really profound impact on our psyche. You know, we can think of compassion as this spiritual woo-woo kind of thing, but it's so profound. So I uh, just invite you um, to think about a time when you saw someone being helped by someone else, um, and maybe you were moved. Can you think of a time like that? Um, yeah, yeah, I actually can. Think- and and that state is um, something that psychologists call elevation. Uh, you can be moved to tears. Um, you know, there are a lot of YouTube videos going around where you know someone's doing something really beautiful for someone else. Yeah. And why why is this? Why do those videos go viral? They move us. They create elevation in us. It's a very um, very pleasant feeling. And what research is showing is that when you feel elevation, you're more likely to go out and help others in a kind of a chain reaction of goodness. Um, and you know, I think. It's, it's because it's such a moving state, um, and it touches yes. us so profoundly that it's, uh, it's a very human, uh, or I, I don't want to say human because we observe it in animals as well, but um, it's just a very profound and beautiful state. And uh, social scientists uh, James Fowler and Nicholas Christakis at Harvard um, have shown that you know, when, when one person acts fairly, it has a repercussion up to three degrees of separation away. Really? So, um, if yeah, so if you observe someone or you do a kind act, the people observing you are more likely to do that and the people who they are connected to are then also more likely to be kind. So a lot of times we think, oh, what difference can I make? I'm just one person among all these millions of people. Um, but actually it's huge because uh, one person impacts everyone around them in concentric circles. And they don't even know the ripple effects and where it will lead. So, it's almost. Um, it's almost like it's contagious it's this and i guess that is part of this mirroring ability of humans i guess that if i see compassion i can feel compassion and then and then i guess it motivates me to be more compassionate is that the idea yeah and and i think you know why why do people like mother Teresa, gandhi martin luther king live on why are we still putting their quotes up on facebook why are we there are many many leaders that have led people but but it's those leaders that have been profoundly motivated by compassion and kindness that live on. They had followers who did not get paid, who didn't want to get paid, who didn't care about anything, who went through hardship to follow them and to, uh, because they were inspired by them. And what were they inspired by? By this profound compassion. So a lot of people think compassion is this soft thing. It's not. It's incredibly courageous. It's incredibly powerful. And who would think and, it was uh, so academically supported? 
I mean, but it, yeah, it's it funny. We know it's spiritually supported, and we know it's something that mm-hmm. you know we aspire to. But to know that that it is, it does have this contagion kind of effect to it. It's powerful. We already knew that, I guess, huh? All you got to do is watch a baby be born, being born, or you need to watch a mother uh, with her child, or somebody who's you know dancing with their daughter at her wedding. You just you need to, and and there's so many events in life, aren't there, that create this opportunity to feel compassion. There really are, um, and I have a colleague, uh, Dan Martin, at the Cal State uh, East Bay University, who um, has created a compassion app. A mapping app for his students and um, can literally go every time you see an act of compassion around you, you uh, kind of log in and, oh, um, and this map is being created and it just, it just helps us train our awareness to look around and be like, oh wow, there's a parent helping their child. Oh wow, there's some, somebody helping a stranger across the street. Like there's so many beautiful actions around us that can inspire us every day. Again, it's where are we putting our attention and our focus? What, what is this what, is this kind of what you call survival of the kindest what what is that yeah so that's a coin uh, that's coined by Dacker Keltner at UC Berkeley one of um, my colleagues and he was talking about Darwinian theory so a lot of people think that Darwin uh, came up with survival of the fittest mm-hmm. uh, but that was actually not coined by him um, and that was coined by um, uh, someone who had a more kind of uh, uh, he wanted to justify social hierarchies. Oh, okay. Um, and so, so we think that Darwin said that, but Darwin's uh, message, uh, as Dacker has pointed out, was more akin to survival of the kindest. Um, there's a quote um, by Darwin that says, really, we could not have really survived if it wasn't for um, people helping each other. And uh, Bob Sapolsky at Stanford University has shown that in um, in um, he works with baboons in Africa, and he's seen that now, who's more likely to reproduce uh, in, a, in a tribe of baboons? It's uh, the nice guys, uh, <laughs> primarily because the alpha males are out fighting or hogging yeah. food. Yeah, but pigs, also, yeah. Um, yeah, in, in one, of those, um, one of those tribes, um, the alpha males all died out because they ate um, intoxicated food. And so who was left was the nice guys. And, See, uh, the good guys win. Yeah, the good guys. But as Finally. the tribe became more cooperative and less hierarchical because they were, that was their, um, their um, communication method, yeah. um, the, the tribe actually thrived much more. It's interesting because long- you'd almost think it would be, it would be that the, um, the more aggressive one in the end wins out. But it really, then you have fewer enemies when you're kinder, gentler. That's probably are really true as well. And you're yeah. probably also not you're, you're not taking advantage of as many people. I mean, it just seems like there's mm-hmm. just more potential for for a positive synergy. Again, happiness, we talked about this earlier. It sounds so squishy, but then when you get into your research, which which again, I think is a big reason why people need to go to your website because they can see the research <laughs> articles, your blogs, you have so much stuff there. Your your some of your talks uh, Emma's been on on TED Talks, TEDx, if you've ever seen any of those um, wonderful talks. But help me with this. Um, and it's kind of what we were talking about in the show. It seems like is is happiness a selfish endeavor or is happiness, the, you know, I guess the goal to reach happiness a selfish endeavor or is it a selfless one? How How would you answer that? I would say that it's um, a very selfless one, actually. Um, so the research that I was talking about right before the break was that, you know, when you do an act of service, it has this ripple effect. Well, the same is true of happiness. When you're happier, your friend's brother's uh, cousin is happier. So when one person is happier, it impacts three degrees of separation away from them. And this has been shown um, by Nicholas Christakis at Harvard. And so um, I think that's very persuasive research right there. Um, Absolutely. And we know that. Right. If we're around people that are stressed out, we feel stressed out. If we're oh, yeah. around, around joyful people, they uplift us. It, so it really, in a weird way, making sure you're focused, I mean, that you're finding your own happiness, it's going to affect positively um, and impact the people around you. The ring, it's the, that's the drop in the, you know, in the, in the water that these circles continue to go out around us. Um, what was the name of the author that, or the, the researcher that, that discovered that? Uh, Nicholas Christakis uh, at Harvard. I mean, that is just, 
It's something we know. We know if mom's not happy, we know we're in trouble. If dad comes home angry, we know it's going to affect the night, the evening, right? Right. Absolutely. And, you know, we're we're much more connected, you know, than we think. So um, if you smile at a stranger, even if that person doesn't smile back, you've activated the micro muscles in their face. Uh, we internally mirror each other. So um, whenever you're doing an action, if I'm observing you, I'm internally doing the same thing. Hmm. So that's the basis of empathy. That's why we cringe when we see someone falling on the street. We internally can feel that that must hurt. When someone smiles at us, it's a reason we smile back. Or if you walk in the room and your loved one is not doing well, you can see it immediately within microseconds. You don't even need to ask because we mirror each other's facial expressions. We internally resonate what another person is feeling. That's the basis of empathy, of connection, of understanding. But it's also the way that emotions spread. So even positive emotions, if you're feeling good, you're going to be uplifting those around you. Mm. And what a responsibility, really. I mean, if, if, we, if we were so aware um, and connected to those around us, I guess we would probably be more aware of the impact we're having. We would see that my happiness is begetting more happiness. I guess that takes us back to social connection. Right. Does, right. Absolutely. Is there um, – so when, when you think of like, okay, if there's three or four things that are just kind of must – do's must remember to to increase the likelihood that happiness is going to become a part of our life what would you say those are well i would say one of those things is to um take care of yourself and i think that's easier said than done especially in the u.s where we're in a culture of workaholism um and uh and for a lot of people we prioritize others uh over self but um, really uh, knowing what you, your body needs, what your mind needs, when it needs rest, when it needs food, etc., when it needs um, to meditate, when it needs to play. Um, again, play is sometimes something we forget about in uh, this very uh, hardworking culture of ours. Um, Talk about meditation. And- I know you do a lot of yoga. I know that's a lot of um, what some of your even studies have been around. What What have you <laughs> learned about just that meditative the practice of yoga or other you know meditative practices? Well, meditation um, really allows us to rest on a very deep level. Um, that's from personal experience. It's really, uh, I found it tremendously beneficial. And a lot of people ask me how I get so much done, and I attribute it to uh, meditation. I'm able to rest my mind, and, and I'm therefore feel more creative. I feel better, and I'm able to um, to to think more clearly. And and and. Um, but in terms of the research, meditation has been linked to increased immune function, probably because of decreased stress, decreased anxiety, decreased depression, um, decreased uh, uh, trauma, improved sleep, decreased pain even, mm. or um, an increased ability to deal with chronic pain. Um, and, you know, it's in the past, meditation would have been seen as this like kind of hippie thing to do, yeah. um, maybe like a Buddhist slash Eastern, Eastern religion type of activity. But actually, to me, it's um, it's it's just a way of we rest our body at night. And this is a way of resting our mind. There's nothing religious about it. If you don't want there to be, um, it's really just about settling the mind. And if you really think about it, the quality of our life depends on the state of our mind. So yeah. you, know, you could be in a beach on a beach in Hawaii, but if you're stressed out or pissed off, it doesn't matter that you're on a beach in Hawaii. Similarly, you, know, you could be um, you know you could be in the dead of winter in Wisconsin uh, <laughs> outside. But if you're in love and everything's groovy, it doesn't matter. It's perfect, right? right. So, um, you know, if you think about it, we really have a responsibility to take care of the state of our mind. And, uh, and meditation is one really important way of doing that. Um, another, um, another thing that I mentioned earlier is gratitude, cultivating gratitude, really counting your blessings. And when you do that, um, you really get a, a fuller perspective on our lives. Most mm. of us, if we're living in a first world country, have more to be grateful for um, than to not. Than not. Um, and gratitude, like I mentioned earlier, really improves our well-being. And uh, the third thing I would say is um, engage in service in some way. Stretch your comfort zone. Reach your hand out. We've all been. We all have different kinds of gifts and strengths. Um, and we can use them to benefit others. Yeah, you don't um, need you know, to engage shy. in service, not to interrupt, but you don't need to engage in service to be exhausted. You, I mean, right. you, you, you need to know yourself, which I guess is going back to take care of yourself. Um, but if you know you can't handle or do certain things, then find another way to serve. There are, uh, there's a plethora of ways to, to serve and to give back to people. 
There are, and everyone has different talents. So I know some people who are techies, and they do they volunteer for nonprofits and do all their engineering and website work. You know, other people love kids, and they're working with kids. Um, other people, you know, it, we all have our different skills and abilities. So it doesn't have to be something like, oh my gosh, I don't think I have the ability to feed starving orphans in Somalia. You know, mm-hmm. you don't have to. Right. Um, you, it starts at home. It starts with the person next to you. It starts with the person at the grocery store who uh, maybe no one said anything to them at the checkout counter and just starting up a conversation, you know? Mm-hmm. What was your, did you have one more? You had cultivating gratitude, engaging in service, uh, taking care of yourself, and, and maybe a little bit, talk to us a little bit more about the social connection. And that social connection. So the, a feeling of, of connection and belongingness actually comes out of a state of well-being. Um, as I mentioned earlier, that feeling of connection to others is crucial for our physical and um, psychological health. But it actually comes naturally out of a state of well-being. So if you think about a day when you're feeling really stressed and you're walking down the street, you get really tunnel visioned. You know, your yeah. mom or friend could walk by, you might not notice. But on a day when everything's groovy and you're feeling really happy and you're just strolling down the street with a big smile... Those are the days that you notice, oh, my gosh, that person uh, needs me to keep the door open for them because they're carrying a heavy bag. Or, well, that person looks like they might need help with their baby stroller going down the stairs. Because positive emotions um, widen our awareness and our attention uh, we're, and, and our sense of belongingness. So when we're stressed, we feel like, oh, my gosh, there's so much going on. I don't even have time to think about someone else. But yeah. when your well-being increases, you, you, you do. You have those resources. At the same time, when you engage in service, you also realize that you have those resources. So I would say, you know, having a spirit of service, even in moments when you feel stressed, will help, will help you. Uh, oh, I think so, too. It also seems to connect us back to this kind of deeper purpose we might have in life, this, this more innate, I guess, need to connect or to be compassionate. Do you sense, um, because this, I guess, is an argument that you hear socially, so I'd, lo- I'd love to hear what a researcher actually feels about this. Do you sense that there is a difference in compassion between men and women? Um, it's funny because I was just asked that in a Huffington Post um, show the other day. And, uh, you know, I really, I think we've been socialized a certain way. Uh, women have been socialized. We're you know, we're allowed to be affectionate and warm and fuzzy, and compassion is often seen as a feminized term. Mm-hmm. But I, I don't think there is no evidence to show that there is a difference between men and women. Women, maybe biologically, um, we have uh, we both men and women have uh, produce oxytocin, which is known to be a nurturing. It's called the cuddle or the love hormone. It's um, produced um, during lactation for women or when they give birth. Right. But it's actually produced in both men and women. But there, there may be more, more biological kind of uh, more oxytocin release in women um, in certain periods of their life. However, there's no evidence from brain imaging research that there would be a difference. And what I would say is, I think it might take on a different kind of uh, look in men and women. So in, in in women, where it might take on a more nurturing, kind of affectionate. Um, appearance, men may uh, express compassion more through pragmatic, helping, protecting uh, kind of behaviors. And that may in part be due to socialization. Yeah. I mean, if you think about it, uh, how, how boys and girls are raised. I mean, there's certain things that are allowed. Men are allowed to show things and certain feelings and certain um, uh, compassionate impulses only in certain ways. Um, and that's a socialization right. thing as well. It's powerful, too. I mean, it's to know that compassion is just such a basic human instinct is it's actually comforting it seems like to know that you have a world of people around you whether they know you or not that kind of instinctively will go to that level of compassion for you if there's an opportunity that's that should be comforting don't you think yeah and one thing to remember too and this is research um that's being conducted at stanford business school by frank flynn is that most people are willing to help, uh, but when but they don't, and because others don't ask them, and they assume that if they're not asking them, they don't need it. So right. I also would say, you know, when you need help, go out, ask people. You're giving them an opportunity to do service, which will make them feel good, and they may not know you need help if you don't ask. Yeah, um, that's actually mm-hmm. that's some great advice. Uh, by going out asking for some more help, it, I've actually seen that's a great way to endear your partner to you is letting them help you. They want to. They don't know. They're waiting for you to ask. I shouldn't have to ask if you love me. Um, But in the end, just asking for help sometimes just creates that opportunity to serve. 
and then happiness can can erupt. Yeah, exactly. Some, yeah, some people are like, oh, I don't want to ask for help. I feel like I'm going to impose. But you're giving that person the opportunity to do service. And it's yeah. their choice if they want to or not. But it's an opportunity. There's nothing wrong with that. Love it. Emma Seppala, Ph.D., thank you so much for joining us. Really, Thank you, Matt. you've been so enlightening, and I, I seriously suggest highly to, that you go to Emma, Emma's website, Emma Seppala, E-M-M-A-S-E-P-P-A-L-A, emmaseppala.com. Go check out her website, and on there, just articles galore. Watch her videos. She's got a lot to offer there on uh, everything you've been learning. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Well, what I got from those interviews was that even though the world might have you believe that happiness comes once you reach the top position at your business or once you win a million dollars or once you look like a beauty queen or once you marry your celebrity crush, it must come from something else. Because both of these experts at completely different times and from completely different backgrounds told us that happiness comes from everyday experiences with service, gratitude, and compassion. Today, I learned that Darwin didn't actually come up with the term survival of the fittest, but actually his idea was survival of the kindest, that bananas won't give you nightmares, they'll help you sleep, and that happiness isn't the destination, it's the journey, a journey that is enjoyed through moments of kindness and compassion. And remember what Dr. Seppala said, you might feel like your efforts of compassion are just one drop in a bucket, but one drop creates a sea of ripples. Thanks for listening, everyone. I'm Liana Tan. Join us again tomorrow for more Matt Townsend.